So Tammy told me that I need to announce that this is the Sons of Grace Fall Seminar, and it's the Wisdom Seekers class. Um, and today is September 15, 2019. Um, and the title of my message this morning is Fringes of His Robe. Um, I feel very privileged and very blessed to stand before each of you. Um, before I get started, I definitely want to thank Apostle Ron and Dennis and Tammy for um, extending the invitation to speak today and also thank my beloved pastor, Pastor L, um, for releasing me to share the word, um, which is definitely a privilege and it really is an honor. Um, and I'm gonna get the Monica spirit in a minute. <laughs> because that's, you know, when you think about the word of God and it's his very, it's the essence of who he is and the depth of his love for each of us and the fact that he trusts us with that word, um, it's just very special to me. And um, yeah, it's just very special to me. So I feel very privileged um, to stand before you all. I also wanna thank Apostle Ron whew, and all the ministers in the network. Um, just for being so steadfast and diligent and dedicated to the word and to God. Um, you know, the Lord recently transferred me back from, I was driving back and forth to Bartow. That's where I was working. It's about an hour drive to and fro. And um, when Haley gave her testimony last week, I knew, or the, you know, earlier this week, I knew exactly what she was saying. And we've been sharing a little bit with her, Pastor Haley, rather. Um, and so, you know, sometimes the work that the Lord has you do is very weighty and it's very heavy. Um, but the words that have been coming forth out of this house and from the network in totality really have been um, words that have sustained me and anchored me and grounded me in the last nine months. And so I'm just very appreciative that you all labor over the word the way you do and you um, love God the way you do and really everything that you do comes from the Father's heart. So sometimes we take that for granted and I don't ever wanna take that for granted. And so today I say thank you to each of you for how you have persevered and stood and uh, just you know, told the enemy, you're not going to have it. <laughs> and you've continued to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I want you to know that those, those words and these messages that come out of this house really um, are life. They're really, they're life and they're breath to me. So I appreciate that. I also want to thank Scott Mastin. Um, we thanked everyone with the, you know, sound team and everything, but I want to give a special thanks to him because he is very diligent to take care of every inquiry that I have. So anytime I have a question, I email him, and he's very much been a very uh, a blessing to me, and I didn't want to overlook him uh, with some of the things that I've asked him to do, and, you know, just where do I find this, and what do I, you know, get this from, and he's been very faithful in that. So when God um, asked me to speak, typically he does it in one of three ways, or he'll speak to me in one of three ways about what he wants me to say. I usually live it, um, and then he tells me to write or speak about it. I either get a snapshot of a picture, like in my mind's eye, um, and that leads me to inquire further, or I hear a phrase and he just keeps repeating it over and over and over until I require and then inquire and then he brings it forth. 
Um, and in this instance, I kept hearing the phrase healing in his wings, healing in his wings. And as the phrase kept repeating itself, it got stronger and it got stronger. And then the Lord said, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And what was it just became like a burning um, place in my heart that really turned into inquiry. And then I got to live it. So um, what we're going to be talking about today, that's our scriptural context for today. But the phrase son of righteousness really caught my attention because I just began to ask, you know, questions. You know, you get to hear something and you ask the Lord questions like, well, son versus son, S-U-N versus S-O-N, you know, and what wings, Lord, are you talking about? And how do wings bring healing? And that's kind of where this started for me. So I quickly realized that these phrases were a metaphor, right? They were a metaphor that God was using, but I was intrigued and I wanted to learn more. Um, and then the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, Dion, although the world is getting darker, light penetrates the darkness. And as sons of God, God and angels of my glory, and as you walk in great grace, there needs to be a resolute posture of faith. You know, a resolute posture of trusting and functioning in the authority that I have given you. And very quickly, he said to me, wake up. It was just that strong, wake up. You're either going to believe what I say is true or not, you know? And he said, it's me and it's me alone. There is no plan B. There is no plan B, right? And so if you're going to have, you know, you're gonna to have to stop focusing on the opposition because the opposition is gonna come. It's gonna come. Focus on the strategy. Focus on the strategy. And then he finally said to me, adversity and challenge and oppositions is simply the enemy's reaction to your progress in the spirit. So stop being surprised by that. Stop being surprised when the enemy comes and, and gets, uh, you know, tries to attack. And um, not everyone knows, but and I only share this example simply because of what the Lord, how the Lord used in my life but I was in the hospital in August for about a week um, and the bottom line was that you know my medication had gone awry and it thrown off a bunch of things um, but at one point I saw so I had internist pulmonologist oncologist and the pulmonologist comes in and he says you know I see your lab work has come back and um, it looks like you have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma you know and so I'm looking at him with my eyes but I'm discerning with my ears what the spirit is saying, you know? And at that moment, I had a choice, faith or fear. You know, faith or fear. And it was almost like when Apostle was describing earlier um, this week when he's talking about Hannah and the bitterness in her soul. So she has this bitterness because she has, you know, this mourning, but at the same time, she's also communing with the Lord. And that was what was going on with me. I was living in two places. And now, mind you, all of this is taking place in like a split second. This is not like a 15-minute conversation with my doctor. Because you know how they are. They come in, they whisk out, right? And so he's sitting there and he's saying this to me. And at that moment, I had a, a choice. And I just remember those two you know, choices popping up before me. And the Lord said, no. Just that clearly in my spirit, no. And before I knew it, I looked at him and I said, no. <laughs> you know and I in fact I say you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> you know and naturally you know we know doctors doctors don't like to be told what they do and don't know right and so he looked at me like I was questioning his authority and I was questioning as pastor said the accuracy of what he was delivering to me 
Um, and I was not going to accept that. And I just told him, I said, no, because I know what God has shown me. I know what God has spoken to me. I know what my future seasons look like. And it does not include non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, you know. And so long story short, <laughs> I basically told him to leave, you know, in a nice way. But I told him to leave because we weren't going to continue to have a dialogue about something that wasn't true. Um, and so when opposition comes, there really needs to be that uprising in your spirit immediately to dispel the falsehood and to release truth. And what is God saying to you? You know, Apostle Ron made a statement about a year ago, and I cling to this all the time. He said, my strength and my confidence is in my partnership with him. And that's what, you know, as that happened, I was leaning on that. Um, in the meantime, as I told Sister Monica, the hospital stay wasn't really even about the hospital stay. It was the most glorious time I've ever been in the hospital. I got to the point where I was like, I'm not sleeping in the bed. I'm not staying in the bed all day. I'm going to set myself up over here and I'm going to do, you know, what I want to do that the Lord told me to do. But God just kept bringing people across my path all week long that needed to hear and know his love and know the breadth and the depth of who he is. Um, and there was one day that, I mean, it just seemed like people just coming in, coming in, coming in. And he was just releasing and pouring out to the point where my one of my other doctors came in. I prophesied to him through what the spirit was saying. And it was really the best time I've ever had in a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the Lord was, you know, just reminding me, it's not even D about what you see, you know, look beyond what you see, look beyond what you're experiencing and stand in faith and believe and trust me. So um, I say that to us today because I believe the Lord is saying to the saints, you know, you, we have choices and we have to stand in that absolute faith in a place of authority and dispel those mountains because they're going to come, right? That's what that's the opposition to great grace. I mean, to grace and supplication, Beelzebub, right? So it's going to come, but the strategy is faith and unity and one accord. And that's where if we're going to go into that next season, we think the world is dark, right? It's not going to get, you know, it's going to just get, keep getting darker. And so we as the saints have to stand in that position of authority. So I'm going to lay a foundation which requires a little bit of theory and then I'm going to bring it, take it out of context and bring it back into context. So, you know, don't think I'm crazy. I'm not. <laughs> it's just that I got to kind of move around in order to get where I want to get. And, and I'm a teacher that likes application. So at the end, we're going to look at a story that really ties everything together and kind of helps us apply what the Lord is saying. So if you look at your teaching sheets, uh, Malachi 4. says um, for behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud yea and all that do wickedly shall stubble and the day that cometh shall burn them up saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. So the context of Malachi really helps us understand the sun metaphor, but it also teases out two other passages that we're going to talk about a little bit later, Isaiah 6, 1 and Luke 8, the woman with the issue of blood. Um, but I deduce from this metaphorical son is really a personification. He or it has righteousness. It's really a quality of character, um, not capable of possession by an inanimate 
object. So whoever heard of a sincere chair, right, or a fickle rock? And so the sun and its elementary um, constituent fire are really a mixed blessing to humanity. The sun and fire both burn and they both warm. But so God is using this metaphor in describing his appearance really to Israel is what he's doing in, in Malachi 4. So if you read Malachi 3, 1 through 2, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who shall abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. So going back to Malachi, you know, 4.1, when he's talking about the sun shall burn as an oven and um, that all that do wicked shall be stubble, you contrast that with a consuming fire and judgment to a benign sun in healing that really appears in Malachi 4.2. So when you look at Malachi 4.2, it says, but unto you that fear my name shall the sun of righteousness rise with healing in his wings. And even if you go back to Malachi 4.2 all the way through 4.6, it's really forming, um, it's, it's, it forms a unit promising destruction for the evildoers, right? And deliverance and healing for those who reverence his name when the Lord himself, the metaphorical son, appears in the temple. So now what I want to do is contrast that with the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecies with Jesus cleansing the temple in John 2, 13 through 17, and with Jesus in the temple by Simon, Simeon. So in John 2, 13 through 17, Kelly references passage. It says, and the Jews Passover was at hand and Jesus went up and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And we had made a scourge of small cords. He drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house have eaten me up. Do we not see this in our present day? Do we not see this in our present day? Things that God has ordained and, and purpose for something that he wants to do gets twisted. You know, and it becomes corrupt. You know, and Kelly's word is done. My word is enough. I am so tired of the enemy messing with the children of God. I really am. I'm very tired of that because I know how hard, you know, the children of God labor and work and want to do and, and fulfill his will. And then the enemy just comes in and tries to twist it and pervert it and make it something that it's not supposed to be. So my word is enough, right? Um, most of you know that I'm an attorney. I have two clients that called me before I came out here where basically, you know, in one instance, an employee had embezzled like $30,000 from her company. And in another instance, a um, woman um, who was a teacher, not a teacher, she owns a school, but she loves and raises children, you know, in the Lord, uh, someone took $200,000 from her. And I was like, Lord, these are kingdom resources. Enough. You know, enough. We're not doing this, you know. And so it just made me think again, you know, as saints and as sons, we have to stand in that place of authority and we have to say enough. You know, when the enemy tries to do this and when he tries to um, put us in that position. And so that 
this passage really just meant a lot to me because I know that the enemy would try to come in and take over and do things again that the Lord is not, things that have not been purposed for that reason. Um, if you look at two, Luke 2, 25 through 32, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. And as you remember, Jerusalem was basically the political and religious center where all the action took place, whose name was Simeon. His, Simeon means God has heard. And the, name, and the same man was just and devout, willing for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. So he was obedient to the Lord. You know, he did just what the Lord told him to do. And in this case, he waited 113 years for his answer to prayers, right? And it was verse 26. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Meaning, no, and if you think about it, no one, not everyone um, before Acts 2 had seen the Holy Spirit. So that was very special that the Holy Spirit was speaking to him and was upon him. Some did, others didn't. But can you think about what a promise? You know, this was special because Simeon was one of three witnesses that God had used to confirm that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had come in the flesh. He first used the shepherds, then he used Simeon, and then he used Anna, right? So this was very important. Verse 27, it says, And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So Simeon recognized that Christ is coming, right? And, and not to deliver the Jews from their enemies and place Israel at the head of the nation, but instead that this salvation is for all people. And it will bring revelation to the Gentiles. So I'm not going to read Luke 2, 41 through 47, but it's Jesus in the temple and um, the teachers, you know, having that interaction with him and just kind of um, dialoguing with him. But that was special, too, because he was 12 years old and he was asking questions that typically a 12 year old would not ask. In fact, the student usually didn't ask the questions when they were in the temple with the priest. Usually the priest asked a question and the, the student answered. So, but I wanted to contrast those two because they're really the fulfilling of the prophecy of what was stated in Malachi, right? They're really a fulfilling of the prophecy. So when God said, you know, the evildoers are going to sustain this, but I'm promising that if you, those that fear and revere my name will have this, that's what Luke 2 was basically releasing into the, to the world, the promise of Israel through Christ. Now let's go back to our story in Malachi. What's really the significance of healing in his wings? And if you go back to Malachi 4.2, it says, But unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. The word wings there is kanaf, um, and it means an edge or an extremity, a border, a corner, a skirt, or really a corner of a garment. So really, if you put that in place, Malachi 4.2 would read, but the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in the fringes of his garment. And when you look at that same scripture in the context of um, Malachi 3 and 4, it's actually translated, but the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in the fringes of his robe. Okay. Now, again, I said we were going to lay a lot of foundation and I'm done kind of setting the foundation, but I want you to keep all of this in mind as we go into 
this next story, and we're going to see it bore out um, really um, in the woman with the issue of blood. Okay. So as you look at Malachi, uh, Matthew 9, verse 20 through 22, it says, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And I didn't put this in your teaching sheet, but Mark 5, 30 through 31 says, And at once Yeshua realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? So Jesus, as you know, when he was teaching, he was followed by crowds that were all over the place, very eager to hear his word. But this very sick woman, she caught up with him. And she was desperate, desperate to be healed. She was unwilling to accept her physical limitations, right? So when you look at that word again, fringe of the garment or um, kanaf, it really actually means fringe of a garment or tassels. And in the Greek, uh, I mean, in the Hebrew, it's zizitzit. I have to figure out how to say that, zizitzit. But it's the four corners on the clothing of the, what the Jewish men wore, right? And it was under, um, they, they wear it under their, 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 I guess you'd say their shirt, which is like their prayer shawl or their, um, what is it, talent. They wear it under, as a part of their talent. So the woman with the issue of blood she didn't touch the hem of Yeshua's garment. She actually touched the tzitzits or the braids or the tassels, right? And that's where the power and the authority lied. Because that garment that the, the Jewish you know, ministers were required to, to wear, they knew that that's what that was symbolic of. If you don't have to read, num I'm not going to read Numbers 15, 37 through 41, but that kind of lays out for you and gives you a reference for why the tassels and the tzitzits were so important. But the significance of the tassels, it, sh it reminded every Jewish man of their responsibility to the fulfillment of God's commandment. Right, and the tassels again equaled authority. So when she went and touched, she didn't touch him, you know, like his back. She didn't pat his back. She didn't shake his hand. When she went and she touched that, she touched the fringe of his rope. She knew she was tapping into his authority and that which would heal her. So she was pressing through, and she knew that that was what once that was uh, touched, that would release the power, right? So let's look at Saul and David, First um, Samuel 24, 4 through 6. And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, and thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Why was David upset with himself? You know, he understood that to steal someone's tassel was to steal their authority. 
And so even though David actually did this to prove um, to Saul that he was not trying to kill him, the symbol of taking the corner fringe would be humiliation to Saul, right? And this bothered David. So David immediately went out to the cave and he prostrated himself in humi humility before Saul to prove to Saul that he was not trying to kill him. So as you even see in that example, the tassel or the tzitzit really represented something in that Jewish custom, that authority. But now I'm going to go back to the woman with the issue of blood. You know, she was not content to shake Jesus' hand. She was not content to pat him on the back. She was desperate. And, you know, she actually said, you know, I would imagine, I'm interpreting, I would imagine she said, there is no plan B. You know, if this doesn't work, what does my life look like? I'm going to die, right? And so she spent really all of her time and her energy and resources on, you know, things that didn't work. But she said, I am stepping out in faith and I believe this is going to work. And the Lord said to me as I was reading this passage, we're going to encounter people like this, saints. You know, people who are at the end of their rope. You know, God is going to send us into situations where people are in sheer desperation. Sheer desperation. There is no plan B. So when Apostle spoke on Thursday and he gave us that sheet about our role and our function as saints when it talk, comes to healing the sick and, and, and raising the dead, go back and read that. Because God is going to have us in this season and going forward live that. And we have to function in that place. You know, God is... Um, really strategically placing all of his saints. If you think back, you know, I look at TDH, and I would use any other church, but I only know what's happening in TGH, TDH. Um, God, over this year, has just strategically moved us in all different kinds of places. You know, Denise has gone to Brazil, and she's gone to Paris. Laura's been in Taiwan. Pastor L's been traveling all over the place. Um, and then even within the city, Denise is now working with wounded warriors and their children. Um, you know, even for me, moving me around in law. So God is strategically placing the saints where he wants us to be because you're there for a reason you know you don't have a job if you're in the marketplace you're not just in the marketplace because you need employment right you're on assignment you are on assignment when it comes to systems whether they're corporate or economic or social God wants change he's going to put the saints there so that you change those systems, the cultures that he wants changed. That's our responsibility to partner with the Father to change those cultures. Families and men and women that need to be restored. Pastor Haley, you know, she, she's living that. God is going to use her. Monica talked on Monday about nations that are desperate for transformation. That's the saints. This is the power, the exousa, you know, that we possess, that when we operate in our God-given authority, those things are going to change. We're going to see that happen, saints. The fruit of the Spirit is going to come forth. There is going to be an outpouring. Don't you want to be that? I want to be that. You know, and so when there's times when, again, you wonder, okay, Lord, what are you doing here? Go back. Our strength and our confidence is in our partnership with him. And as saints, we must partner with the angels, the angelic hosts that come. There are angels over the city of Dallas. There are angels over Tucson. There's angels over West Virginia. Are you partnering with them to bring about and restore the glory pockets? There's angels of protection and angels of, that real, reveal information and that fight and that are compassionate and release that healing anointing. And so we have to say to the Father, Lord, I'm willing to partner with you and the angelic host to bring about your intended outcome. Pastor talked about discernment. You know, 
Discernment is simply, as he said, judging between two things. Sometimes the motive and the intent is good. So ask the Lord to give you discernment, right? Exposure. We need leaders that have the ability to discern integrity, right? And discernment of the gifts and the resources. Your discernment, um, as the Lord will release that to you, is going to go past what you see in the natural, past the normality, and to see the potential. Yeah? And so even over our cities, we must be able to look at the soil. Elder Nice was talking to Pastor Haley about this yesterday, looking in the soil and seeing what's in the soil. You know, what's going on? Like she sees the manifestation of it, right, through the people. But what's really going on in Hinton, West Virginia? What's in that soil? She, as we began to talk to her, she began to tell us about, you know, it was um, built on a graveyard, right? Is that what you said, Pastor Haley? I'm sorry. Put you on this one. Okay, Laura, I think, saw in the spirit. Laura saw in the spirit that it was, you know, in a graveyard. And Elder Denise began to say, I see that the soil is, is tainted. It's not rich, right? And so go back and ask the Lord, what is going on in your city? And what's going on in your climate and your atmosphere? Because we have to be able to discern these things because we will also begin to open up some things. You know, everything is not negative. We're going to be able to open up some things. So what's in the heavenlies that God has for Dallas, What's in the heavenlies that God wants to pour out again in New Smyrna Beach? As I begin to research Dallas this morning, I found that you guys were founded um, on a Trinity River, and that intrigued me. I don't know what all that means, but I heard the word Trinity. I got excited, <laughs> you know. But go back and ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you have put in the soil in Dallas that you want to open up? that we as saints will tap into as we partner with you in intercession to bring about what you want to do. So let's return to the story. Why did she want to touch the hem of the garment, the tassels or the tallet? Um, again, the tassels also represented the word of God. You know, the word of God. And it's really the saints, the only place we can find healing for all the needs that are in our lives or in the lives of other people. And Jesus taught with the authority of his father. And when he spoke, people were healed. Now, obviously, we don't wear tassels today, you know, but we should be operating in the full authority that God has given us and reminding ourselves that the place of refuge is under the kanaf of the Lord. It's under his word and his authority. Amen. Saints, I don't know. I the Lord is you know the Lord is serious about this. He's serious about this. Enough. 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 Because really his heart, saints, is to use us. But if we're constantly coming to him broken down, worn out, you know, and just not saying, Father God, you know, I'm getting beyond this. That stuff is superficial. All those things that happen, yes, they're real. I'm not saying they're not real. 
and we do encounter challenges but when you think about where God really wants to take us and what the things he wants to do those things are superficial so automatically in our spirit we have to be able to dispel that quickly so we can really get to doing the business of the Lord if you look at Mark 6, 53 through 56, this is just another example. It says, and when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch it if it were, if it were but the border of his garment. And as a man, as many, and as many as touched him were made whole. So we see Jesus again doing this. It's the, the, the fringes of his robe. They knew that that's where the power and the authority lied. Now, I always, you know, when I teach, I always like to also give demonstration because I want us to see those principles that we've just talked about in action because I believe, you know, it's one thing to hear the word, but you got to now go out and do, <laughs> right? The, we've had a lot of revelation this week. I mean, God has been pouring out his spirit to us, and I am so grateful for all of the revelation and the things that he said to us. But when we leave here today... We got to go back to Ontario and we got to do, yeah. right? Yeah. We got to rise up as saints and we got to say, okay, Lord, you didn't just release that because you wanted to talk. Yeah. Right. You trusted us with the deep measures of your heart because you want us to now go and do. Yeah. And so I'm excited about that. I want to see what, you know, how this is played out in Act 6. So let's look at Act 6. Where am I with time? Okay. God uses Stephen. And I found this story so intriguing because God used an ordinary man really to transform the gospel, right? He wants, he used Stephen just like he wants to use us. And so Stephen, he's not an apostle, right? He's not a leader. He's not a teacher. He's just an ordinary man like you and me, right? Yet Stephen's story marks again the most significant change in the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? His story marks the most significant change in the gospel. Some would even, you know, the world would call it a paradigm shift, right? Because up until this point, the gospel movement um, had yet to leave Jerusalem. It had yet to leave Jerusalem. But God told them in Acts 1.8, he said, But ye shall receive power after, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth to spread the gospel. So God didn't intend for the gospel to just stay in Jerusalem. He told them in Acts what he wanted the apostles to do. Now, that doesn't mean for the first five chapters, the apostles weren't busy. I'm not suggesting that at all. They were very busy. There were 3,000 people getting, you know, baptized in Acts 2. Peter heals a lame man, you know, in Acts 3. He answers um, Peter's prayer in a powerful earthquake in Acts 4. Prison doors were opened by angels in Acts 5. And so there was a lot going on before Acts 6. But all of these things were occurring in Jerusalem. And because the gospel still hasn't left Jerusalem. But this all changes with Stephen. So while he's not one of the more famous characters in the Bible, he is definitely one of the most significant characters in the Bible. And I think God used him really as an, a prototype 
or model to demonstrate to us um, today that he wants to use ordinary people like you and me to change the world because that's what Stephen did. So in Acts 6.1, it says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the disciples were basically saying, we can't do both. We can't go out there and plow and be apostles and, and break open new grounds and also, you know, serve the widows, right? So verse 3 says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, full of the pneuma, the breath of God, the empowerment, and wisdom, which in this case, wisdom means it's Sophia. It's broad of full intelligence and diverse matters, acting of in, or act of interpreting dreams, skill in the management of affairs, devout and prosperous or prudent. So go out and find some wise and prudent people, right? Whom we may appoint over the business, right? But in, and then in verse four, he says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer. That word is proskoterio. Brother Mark did an excellent job earlier this year teaching y'all about proskoterio, being diligent. That's that earnest deposit that pastor was talking about earlier this week. Are you going to give of yourself in this way, your prayer time being your first fruits to do the things that God has told you to do, right? But we will give of ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Proscorus, and Nicomor, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmeus, and Nicholas, a uh, proselyte of Antioch. When they had set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So, again, if you look at Stephen's job prior to this, you know, in comparing him to the work of the apostles, he wasn't doing it. He wasn't doing things on the same level as the apostle, but he was important to God. Amen. He was basically waiting tables, and as Pastor Fabian taught us yesterday, he was serving. He was just serving and waiting for the next thing that the Lord had for him. But Stephen did his job so well that it became a witness because he was full of the spirit. You know, and he got the attention of many in the community, including the Jewish priests, who eventually began to turn on him. But he got their attention, right? Verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of the face, that's pistis, and power, exusa, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them a Sicilia of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist antihistime, the wisdom and spirit by which he spake. So they knew Stephen was speaking the truth, right? But they couldn't receive it. Why? Because they looked at him as being untrained, uneducated. He wasn't one of the apostles. He didn't, you know, uh, flow to the degree that they thought he should have, right? In verse 11, it says, Then they suborned, which is hupabalo, to suggest to the mind, to instruct privately, or to instigate. They suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. 
And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face, and has it been the face of an angel. So they bring Stephen before the council, right? And I can only imagine between Acts 6 and Acts 7, Stephen was like, hold up, one second y'all were praising me and thought I was the best thing since sliced bread, and now you're stoning me and you want to get rid of me, right? But, you know, when I looked at that, I was just saying to myself, Lord, um, he was just really trying to be your vessel. And he was just really trying to serve. But the key to Stephen was that he said to the Lord, Lord, I choose to partner with you. You know, I am choosing to honor you in this way. And I'm choosing to go forth and do what you want me to do to spread the gospel, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I love Stephen's response. If you look at Acts 7, verse 54, it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand and right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing, histeme, right? Histeme, on the right hand of God. That right hand of God means dexios, a place of honor and authority. So he said, you know, I know what I was called to do. And if you think back to the teachings that pa Apostle and uh, Elder, well, in our church, Elder, has been teaching on honor, he was basically saying to Lord, I am committed to God for the purpose of being commissioned by him for service. Right. And so they cried in verse 57. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast at Balo. They basically drove him out with violence out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive and and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know, this is what Apostle Ron was referencing earlier in this week, the spirit of Maturia, right? So he didn't, you know, complain. He didn't murmur. He didn't say, Lord, you know, whatever. He looked up and he inquired of the Lord and he said, Lord, I'm partnering. I'm standing on what you have told me to do. I'm remembering the assignment that you have given me, given me. And as Paul said, anything worth uh, having is going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. Stephen takes a stand and he puts his estime and he gives the longest recorded sermon in the books of Acts. He actually gives um, a detailed history of Israel showing how the entire Old Testament points forward to Jesus. And it comes to a climax in verse 54 and in verse 55 where he really displays the fruits of the spirit. He exercises love. He exercises great self-control, you know, and we see the depth and the maturity of the spirit within Stephen. Does this picture look familiar to you? Does this picture look familiar to you? Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen said the same thing. Don't lay this charge at their feet. Father, forgive them for what they do. Stephen laid down his life. 
This is really saying what it means to follow Jesus, to look at your life as a sacrifice for others, just as Jesus, Jesus sacrificed, you know, his life for us. And the question, you know, the Lord, I was asking the Lord, he says, I said, Lord, where would we be if Jesus decided not to come and die on the cross? And he said, we'd be exactly in the same place where approximately 2.8 million people are without us in this room. 2.8 million people have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So saints, we have got to get to a place where we decide in our hearts as sons that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. If you turn one final time to Acts 7.56, it said, And said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. I think Jesus was receiving Stephen and declaring, You stood for me, and now I receive you home and affirm our partnership and what you did in the earth for me. Right? The only thing that will give us really, saints, the conviction to go all the way is believing that Jesus is worth it. You know, God is bringing us really to a point of deciding whether he's worth it or whether we're going to go after whatever is in our heart. And like Stephen, and I compare, you know, sometimes when God has you in that pressing and that shaking and that, you know, uh, like an olive, you know, that's being pressed. Are we willing to say, Lord, you can stone me? You can shatter me, Lord. You can smash me. You can do whatever. I would rather have Jesus. And I'd rather partner with him. It's just something for us to think about. If you turn with me to Acts 4, Acts 8, 1 through 4, or on your sheet, I'm going to read that. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So there it is in Acts 8, 4, right? Those who or they who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. This is the first time that I can tell that the gospel leaves Jerusalem. Right? Not a single apostle, though, is involved here. If you go back to verse 2, not one apostle. So it doesn't say, you know, the apostles delivered this. It says, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. So, again, as we think about this, um, God was just using ordinary people Amen. to establish his word and to proclaim the gospel. Now, you think about other church plants, Acts 11, verse 19 through 30. You don't have that on your teaching sheet, but that was the planting of the church at Antioch. Who planted this church? Ordinary people. Acts 28, the church of Rome. Paul was desperate to get the gospel there, but he didn't establish the church. Ordinary men, just like you and me, right? So my question to us is, are we willing to avail ourselves to transform nations and cultures and systems and do whatever it takes to further the kingdom. What does this all mean as we look into this season and, and we're going beyond? Proverbs 22, 29, if you look at that in your teaching sheet, it says, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings, he shall not stand before men. So that scripture basically says whatever you were skilled at, 
God gave you those skills so you could stand before the kings of the earth and tell them about Jesus. You know, we intercede before him as priests, and then we come down and we legislate as kings before kings. So in each of us, in our respective terrios, whether it's the U.S. or abroad, you know, that's what God is calling us to do. And so you have to say, Lord, what have you skilled me at, and how do you want to use this in the kingdom? What really stood out to me about the story of Stephen was, again, his confidence. Again, his confidence wasn't in himself, but rather in the spirit that filled him. And that goes back again, you know, and I know I keep saying this, but really it's the essence, saints, of where we have to function. My strength and my confidence is in my partnership with the Lord, right? It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the spirit of God, the ruach, that breath, that wind, that lives. Have you ever just stopped to think about that? The emperor and the creator of the universe, that breath is in you. I mean, you think about all the different systems, the plant system, the animal system, and I don't know all the systems, but y'all know, you know what I'm saying. You think about all the systems that go on in this world, the anatomy, the human body, all the things that we function in on a day, God created that, and that spirit is in you, is in me. And he trusts us with the depths of his heart. He trusts us with, I mean, Lord, yes. It's like, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Every time you get a revelation, we should be saying thank you. Because he trusts us. What gives ordinary people the confidence to move out and to press in? It's the knowledge of the power within them. And so as soon as we accept Jesus, we know the power is there, but you have to be sensitive to that power, and you have to be in touch with that power. And that's what gives you the confidence to do the things you do. So we can't forsake our times of proscenial. We can't forsake our times of intimacy with the Lord because he only reveals himself the secret things of the heart, you know, of the Lord to those that are pressing into him and that truly want to walk with him and truly want to know his heart. If you turn in your sheet to John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. You know, when I heard, hear that, I say, okay, well, Lord, you didn't lie. So when you use this phrase, you're really about to say something amazing, right? Something mind-blowing. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And the Holy Spirit told me to focus on the phrase, to your advantage. How could it be any more advantageous than having Jesus as your ministry companion for, thir- for three years, right? Jesus, I have a question. Question answered. Jesus, we need more wine. Done. Jesus, we need more fish and bread. Done. Jesus, so-and-so died. He raises them from the dead. Done. This really, you know, to me, had to be amazing. Yet he's telling them, it's to your advantage that I leave. Whoa. Whoa. Matthew 11, there's never been anyone born among women greater than John the Baptist. That may not be in your teaching sheet. Um, But Jesus said, one of you who is least in my kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. What does least mean? Least means least, right? (laughs) Right? So even if that is true, you have more potential 
than John the Baptist because you have something that John the Baptist never had. You have the Holy Spirit of God after the resurrection. And it's permanently fused to your spirit. So at this point, it's no longer about your abilities, but rather your availability to the Holy Spirit. To say, Lord, I want to partner with you. I don't have time to, I didn't have time to put this in your sheet, but even if you go to Acts 8, 26 through 40, um, basically Angel appears to Philip, tells him to go to the crossroads. There's an intersection in town. Philip is simply obedient. He goes. There he meets a eunuch from Ethiopia. Minister him. He gets saved. Um, and the eunuch and his group get converted, return to the sub-Saharan Africa, and they plant a church. And they plant a church. So my question is, are we listening to the Holy Spirit because he's always speaking? Yeah. He's always speaking. And if so, have you and I wrestled and reconciled with the obligation and the reward that that puts on us? You know, Apostle Ron started this year saying that this was a season of great grace. So there's an empowerment and there's a progression in the spirit that the Lord is, you know, has us functioning in. And I don't know about you and what's been going on in your terrios, but in Tampa, it has been full steam ahead. Just full steam ahead. The, the things that he's had us do, we go on prayer walks once a quarter. Um, He's taken us, you know, we have five different gates to the city. So we'll start out at the university. We changed system presidents. The Lord gave Denise a lot of revelation there about what God wants to do. He's established an honors college. And although they see it as the word, you know, honor or to, to uh, recognize, we know what honor really means again, right? We then leave there and sometimes we'll go down to um, Tampa General Hospital, which sits right on the bay. The bay, Tampa is known as the Bay of the Holy Spirit. And God has been showing us how he's stirring those waters and how in our time, Saturday times of intercession, how he's pouring out his spirit on South Tampa and, and really the rest of the city. But he's starting with South Tampa because that's where a lot of the influence, influential people are, right? And he's going to convert that. And we believe that it's going to pour out. He then showed us in one time in our prayer walk um, a, a line of banks in the downtown area, and he's beginning to speak to us about the economic system and the economic engines in Tampa. We go out to the airport, and we're praying there, and we're believing God because that's where a lot of um, human trafficking is coming into the city. So we're praying against that. And, you know, I really believe, saints, that this next season, and I'm not going to go into Pastor L's message, but it's going to be accelerated. It's going to be accelerated. And so we have to know how to step into that authority and compel truth compel righteousness, convert what has been twisted and distorted for the kingdom. That's where we are in great grace. And it can't be, well, oh, Lord, you know, I don't know. No. <laughs> Come on, wake up. Wake up. Wake up and do what thus saith the Lord. Um, I also have to thank Monica because she was so generous to me. I was trying to order these things and um, symbolic really of what we talked about today, the tassel, you know, and the authority. Um, and because of the hurricane, I couldn't get them in time, but she was gracious enough to let me use her address. <laughs> so thank you, Monica. Um, but the Lord told me, and um, Pastor L and Laura and Denise, if you'll come and help me pass these out.
So we know our authority doesn't lie within this castle. I'm not trying to sell y'all a prayer shawl or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> Don't leave a dollar at the door for Dion for the tassel. But the Lord did tell me to buy these and to distribute them because there are going to be a reminder in the days ahead of the authority that God is giving you as sons and saints in the kingdom. Um, they're orange because they represent, you know, supplication and grace. And we are in great grace. You can use them as a bookmark. You can hang them in your car. You, you know, whatever you choose to do. But every time you look at that tassel, I want you to think about the authority that God has given you and the power that he's given you to go forth and to do the things that he wants us to do in this season and beyond. Amen. 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 So I don't know who I turn it back over to. Dion, I just wanted to say something. So, oh. This is so bizarre to me. I was out praying in the night. That's when the Lord wakes me up. And this morning, the Lord woke me up. I was in prayer. And he showed me on the platform I was singing. There's healing in your wings. There's healing in your wings. Amen. I mean, I just sang it over and over and over Amen. this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord.